You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you've got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Magnum Method Podcast, and I am very fortunate today to sit down with Rachel Belkovic, strength and conditioning coach for the Houston Astros. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you for doing the show, Rachel. So excited to be here mm-hmm. based off of uh, our conversation yeah. last weekend at the Omni Academy certification. So yeah. uh, pretty, pretty pumped. Absolutely. So for my listeners here, the Magnum Method Podcast listeners, I did a certification, as Rachel just stated, in uh, Austin, Texas, the Ani Academy, and at the beginning, we had to pair up with a partner, and I happened to be sitting next to this uh, young lady, and I learned a lot in a, in a very short time, but I knew I, I, I knew you from somewhere, Rachel, and I was like, man, I, I never forget a face, like, people, that's my thing, right, so... When you told me about your uh, baseball career, your softball career, what I did was I said I Googled, because we all love Google, uh, Rachel <laughs> in New Mexico State. And then I, when there was a special that came up and talked about you being the first uh, female strength coach in Major League Baseball, which is tremendous, by the way. Congratulations. That, that's Thanks, in, that's, yeah. that's incredible. Um, I said that's where I saw her face. Because I remember I was watching and I said, man, that's, that's got to be a challenging gig because I played professional sports for many years. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I want to hear about that. But first, tell me that, uh, about yourself, where you grew up, and, and how you, you know, started in sports. Tell me about your early athletic career. Well, I mean, I grew up in every sport possible, probably just so my parents could just busy and and out of trouble, but I grew up in, you know, gymnastics and soccer and softball and basketball and everything. Uh, and then I kind of just, over time, just as we all do, just kind of picked, self-selected into a sport that I was probably good at when I was young and then very passionate about as I was older, and that was softball. So I ended up getting a Division One scholarship to a school called Creighton University in Omaha, and then I transferred and went to New Mexico, and I finished my career there. So that's, like, the short version of it, and... Uh, you know, more than, like, more recently, I've gotten into beach volleyball. So as far as athletics, it's always been a part of my life, and that's definitely how I got started in strength and conditioning. Sweet. So you play, you were a catcher, correct, your whole career? Yes. Uh-huh. Why catcher? Did you choose that, or you were kind of uh, placed there and stuck with it? <laughs> well, um, I, I definitely resonate with being a catcher now. Like, I, I like, absolutely think that I selected it because it's, it's a leadership role and it's, you know, you're kind of the captain of the team even if you aren't selected it, like you, you have to lead people, um, but when I was younger, I was the only person who fit into the catcher's gear, so <laughs> <laughs> That's funny But, you know, but after, like, after time, I just really like, I love being, you know the leader, the vocal leader on the team and having to direct what was going on in the field and, like, that's something I definitely like have a, it's like a badge of honor in right. some ways and 
like a toughness thing, you know. Absolutely, there's not. I remember I used to be a huge Pudge Rodriguez fan, huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, there, there, there's not a uh, this a very specific personality type that comes with being a catcher, as uh, I know yes. you already know. And yes. man, um, tell me about some of the things that you know a catcher has to keep in their mind all at the same time. Uh, please. <sighs> Yeah, so it's, much. well, in, in softball, it's it's even more so, well, I don't want to, I'm not trying to take it away from baseball, but it's it's different than baseball because we are, like, we're picking off the runners, so in baseball, pitchers pick off the runners, but in softball, the catchers have to be in tune with the runners because we do all the pickoffs, or, like, we have to throw down the bats to try to get the, like, throw out the runners. Um, but it's funny, before I go into that, that you said, like, there's a certain breed of people because... It's interesting now because I work in baseball and so I'm around basically every like coach is an ex-player of some kind and it always happens to where I'll be friends with the catchers. Like we, but it's not on purpose, but it's like, huh. it's kind of like sniffing people out like, oh, yeah. you're a catcher? Okay, cool. Like we're going to be friends. Yeah. <laughs> because, That's funny. Because it's just a little bit different than, you know, other positions and I'm sure we relate in other ways and stuff. But yeah. anyway, so, I mean... You know, the runners, the pitch count, the situation, you're, you're calling, not only the, the pitch count, but, like, you're calling pitches, you're trying to strategize to get someone out. So you have to know the batter and, like, know what they, know what kind of hitter they are and know what their weaknesses are and try to set them up to get them out. It's kind of, it's, it's just strategy. Right. Play calling, etc. like, having to manage the pitcher, even though if any pitchers out there are listening, they probably just got mad that I said that. <laughs> That's having it. to take care of the pitcher and make sure that they're mentally and emotionally cool and knowing when to go talk to them and all that. So. Well, that's what I was thinking of, Rachel, when you, when you were telling me about all the responsibilities. I think one of the two things, the first thing is when you have to know exactly how to speak to someone who is not only you know throwing the ball over the plate, but you want to affect them in the most positive way and put them in the proper mindset, mm-hmm. and you don't mm-hmm. want to say anything to turn them or diminish their, their 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 mood or their confidence. That in itself is is a gift and an art. Yeah, it's something that, you know, I used to, I think, well, I can talk about the end of my career at some point. That would probably be pretty interesting. Um, but I, it's like, at some point, I thought I consider that my strength, my strong point is just being able to, like, not only the pitcher, but I was then, and I'm even more now, into, like, the mental side of the game. And so I would, like, I would be the, the girl at, like, 17 years old in high school like pull the whole team together and be like hey guys let's go listen we got this going on like you know I was like the student coach even at a really young age so yeah it's definitely like that's something I even more so now like I said pay attention to the mental side of the game well remember when you referred to sniffing people out I I used to Mm -hmm. I used to know someone like that myself oh really yeah (laughs) so I think uh that's maybe why uh had a great conversation at the end of certification yeah this the the second part that i was thinking about uh regarding catching is when i was in college uh, our defensive coordinator recruited a kid out of pennsylvania i said why did you recruit him he said well because he he's a wide receiver he wasn't as productive as he could have been in high school Mm -hmm. but he ran the 400 and uh i guess it was an 800 as well and he said do you know how mentally tough you have to be to run a 400 and 800 yeah. And yep. to be a catcher, to get down in that position all the time, like, that, just get down in that position once. 
I mean, you do it hundreds and <laughs> hundreds of times a game and then have to maintain yeah. it. I mean, that's a serious focus and mindset. Blocking, like blocking fastballs right to the gut. Like that, that's, yeah, that's something, that's Vol- something I took Rachel, pride in. Rachel, like, vo- I loved it. voluntarily taking baseballs in the gut. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, my God. I have so much respect for your position. Well, it's the same thing as football. It's like you – it's it's a badge of honor. Like, I, I liked blocking because it was like – that's like one of the biggest – over anything else, I like blocking because it's like how – that's just a matter of like are you willing to take it. Right. Right. You know? Right. And I'm sure uh, early on in youth sports, youth baseball, there's not a lot of kids who can voluntarily get in front of that pitch. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, so look, you segue you, you, at New Mexico State. You had a positive career, and then you your athletic career starts to come to an end. Tell us about that. Yeah, I actually didn't have a positive career oh. towards the end there. So this okay. is, but this is so it's so great. It's like fitting, and it led into me being like a strength and conditioning coach. So freshman year, I started out really hot, and like I, I did well. I was recruited like. Know, I guess highly recruited out of Nebraska, which is a little hard to do in softball. But anyway, so I, I went to school and I started, I had a, I'll just call it like a not desirable interaction with the, the head coach there. And he just like some misguided motivation. Understood. And I started to have like some major anxiety around him. Mm. And so have you ever heard of the yips by I, chance? I, don't think I haven't. It's probably, um, it's like when a quarterback can't like throw it like can no longer be precision precision like on point with his throws like we'll just randomly throw it like off is this is this the same same thing as a catcher not being able to throw it back to the mound that's what i started to develop wow i I am familiar with that yeah so i was um so i was basically like i was recruited in part for my arm and also like my precision so i could throw it like not only could i throw it to you but i could throw it to like a certain point on your body at any time in any position any situation I was like super precise with my throws and I had a gun and I could throw from my knees down to second base no problem like this was that was like not even a problem for me at all so I started to this coach was a he was our pitching coach as well as the head coach and so he would pitch deep batting practice and one thing led to another I started to get major like game anxiety with him and I couldn't throw it back to him and I like I was like pitch during practice stuff I like couldn't throw it back to him and so I was like oh that's weird like this is I had no idea what it was I had no, I'd never like seen anything about the yips or heard anything about it and I was like what is going on here so then of course it started to leak into other parts of my game so I, I transferred um I left there and I like went to New Mexico kind of escaped that situation mm-hmm. and got better definitely but never was like fully to myself and so, like, over time, it actually, like, I got better, went to Mexico, and then, like, pressure situation, great in practice, great in fall ball, great in a lot of situations, pressure pressure situations, I would just, like, lose it. It was crazy. Wow. So, and it wasn't, it was, like, pressure situations, I would, like, mentally, you know, I just was lazy. I don't know what it was, but I was, like, still the hardest worker on the team type of thing, and then I would show up and be, everything would be great, and then all of a sudden, I would just launch a throw into right field out of nowhere it was it was really i saw a sports psychologist they did all these things i was at the time you know and still now i'm like this uber hard worker person so i was like always in the gym trying oh it's just i'm not working hard enough and i'm not doing this or that so eventually it was kind of the demise of my career but 
through that, my one career, not my all careers. So through that, I, you know, I kind of found the weight room as a source of not only confidence in myself, but a, a place where I could lead. So if I wasn't leading through things I was doing on the field and I wasn't having success there, I was going to figure out a way to like lead and, and be a contributor to my team. So in the weight room, I was able to do that. Like I was just, you know, like I said, the hardest worker and I was always just out doing people there and like leading people there and pushing people there, etc. And I think that, you know, my coaches and teammates all saw that. I still like, while there were other girls that could have traveled over me on the team because of my skills on the field, my coach would travel me just to kind of be like, I don't know, team mom, like a voice, you know, just to, to be there and like be supportive of my team through, through like off field leadership type of thing. So it was extremely hard to go through an identity change with like not being a super successful softball player, but it led into me having a successful career in strength and conditioning. So one of those things where obviously you know that your failures turns turn into successes etc yeah. so yeah it's uh you know interesting i have a, a friend uh he's a strength and conditioning coach in montreal quebec he mm. they keep they travel with him the the montreal impact soccer team because mm-hmm. he is the most positive uplifting spirit around and he's very knowledgeable by the way yep. but he that presence that that's a commodity yep. that's hard to find Yep, and it, it makes, you know, when you're talking about culture, it's like one person can throw up the whole group or make the whole group, you know, either way. So it's people see that and they value it, and that was the, you know, the situation I was in towards right. the end of my career there. Right. So you, you we segue into your strength and conditioning career. Where, where did you start off? What was your first job, uh, GA or intern? Where were you? Um, my first true job I guess that kind of got me started was Athletes Performance which is better known as Exos right. now are you familiar yes. with that not very, everyone is but I'm very familiar yeah it was it was probably a lot bigger not you know like maybe five or six years ago they were only doing professional athletes and it was just like the most elite training you could get now it's a little more like general population yeah. I think they're huge in military but yeah that was my first experience as a coach which was great because um they're, uh, they're super, they're functional, and they care about movement, and before that time, I had been an athlete, and it was all about heavy weight, who cares what your form looks like, move more weight, it hurts, move more weight, yeah. <laughs> keep going. I know this and well, I, I know this that. well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I got to learn, like, the other end of the spectrum there was some functional movement stuff, and then I went on to LSU, did a graduate assistantship, and then I went on to, um, I guess... Long story short, I went. I did a short internship at Arizona State after I did my graduate assistantship, and then I got hired by the St. Louis Cardinals as an intern, um, just for like a three-month kind of thing with one of their short-season clubs. I left there, went to the Dominican Republic, worked an internship there. I uh, left there, um, went to Phoenix, did another another internship with Arizona State, the second time for free. Then I went to the White Sox, I did an internship, and then I got called back to be the, the coordinator for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, which was when I, I guess, technically made history, but right. that was a super long story short. Right. That's right. you know kind of what led me there, and now I'm with the Astros after three seasons with the Cardinals. So, I noticed that you mentioned several years of intern, then you dropped in for free. So I've had these moments where I oh, yeah. I worked at a performance center and didn't get paid a dime for an mm-hmm. extended period of time. 
everyone thought I was crazy. And I, I was thinking crazy like a fox because I've trained over 300 professional athletes. So, which I'm sure you've tripled by now. But the point was that I that experience was invaluable. Like I needed it and there's no way to get that type of learning person like experiences communication just to look at the programming everything so what did you learn in that that short time aside from all the knowledge of strength and conditioning what did you learn about being a strength coach uh at for major league uh sports i uh, you know i'm like i'm kind of in a as much as i i talk about fear and failure a lot and as much as i say like you know being fearless and also i think i live in a constant state of fear of of like the other guy like there's some other guy or girl out there that's that's like you know learning more than I am and you know and working harder than I am and, and so I've always had that being an athlete and it just transferred over to my career and I said I can remember distinctly the moment in which I was about to graduate I was like one semester away from my undergraduate degree and I looked at my mentor who his name is Chris Frankel, and he's now the director of human performance for TRX. And at the time, he was, like, still one of my professors. And I said, what is the best place I can go to do my internship before I graduate? I didn't say, hey, what's the local gym? I didn't say, hey, what's the easiest thing I can do to get this out of the way? I said, what's the best place I can go to? And at the time, he said, athlete's performance. And I said, I'm going. <laughs> like, okay, nice. it's done. Right. And then I was there, and I looked around, and I said I had several, like, options or just places that I could apply to go and do a graduate assistantship, and I won't name the universities, but there were several other, like, small universities that it, it would have been an immediate, like, okay, I'd go there right away, and they were paying, like, pretty good money for a graduate assistantship, and it would have been, you know, and I said, what's the best place I can go to to do my graduate assistantship? And at the time, it was LSU. At the time I went there, they were... You know, the football team was 13-0. and 0 by, Everyone was winning. Like, everyone was just killing it there. Right. So, right. like, at the time, it was like LSU, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go. I had to wait a year long. You know, why I said it's a long story short, because I skipped over so much stuff that I did that just does not even, like, I had to wait a year to go to LSU, and at the time, just like many other things I've done, people were like, you're going to wait a year? You're like 23 times a ticket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, no, I really think this is, you know, it's LSU. It's a big deal. I think it's important. And looking back, I'm like, what? Did I even think that, like, if there was a second where I thought not to go to LSU, I was crazy. But during that year, I did three jobs. I did personal training. I did waitressing. And then I did in-home health care every other weekend for an elderly couple. And I literally went to their house and stayed over the weekend. So, like, again, I'm 20. I think I was maybe 22 at that time. 22, like, younger woman. I could have spent my weekends going out doing whatever, but I, I literally was, like, spending the weekend with an 85-year-old couple in their home to make money, to save up for my graduate assistantship because I was going to be broke again. Yeah. So, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, like, that's incredible. Really. I mean, you asked me what I learned, and I don't know how I came here, but what I did learn is I learned from the best, and I learned from a lot of different like, I didn't want to settle. I learned, not only when I was at LSU, it wasn't like LSU has one program. I was learning from literally 13 different strength coaches and 13 different programs and seeing all those things implemented. And just, I mean, I I'm learned, I was learning at a much faster rate than I am now, I'll tell you that. And it's that's why I said I, I have that fear. Like, I know it. 
I know it now. So I'm constantly trying to read and get better now because I don't have those experiences where I'm just exposed to 15 different strength coaches implementing 15 different programs with hundreds of, of elite athletes. You know, right. now it's just it's me right. and one staff. So yeah, there's nowhere on the on the planet that I don't I don't not that I know of anyway that you can get that type of information that fast in that vast of a book yeah. of knowledge. It's incredible. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know that speaks volumes. By the way, you know I said it before, but that's very impressive. You spent that that weekend with that couple. I mean, I talk to trainers all the time, yeah. fitness professionals, wellness professionals, strength and conditioning coaches. And I'm like, dude, you. This is the time that, and I and I, I want you to know, I hate the word grind. I absolutely <laughs> hate the word grind because if you know what you want, it's really it can be hard. It can be challenging. But it's not a grind because you love it. And yep. it's what you did, you don't kind of go through it. You don't dabble. You absolutely yeah. knew what you wanted. And that's why it was like, I got this. You know, and that's, It's easy. It's, yeah, exactly. exactly. It's not easy, let's be real. But right. it's like, it's, it's more so like, it's, the work is irrelevant. I will do whatever it takes. It's, right. it's irrelevant more. It's not easy, but it doesn't matter. Like, am I crazy? Am I doing this? With, like, am I working three jobs, which I've done several different times in my life? Yeah. But is it worth it? Yeah. Right, right. It's not like we know it's going to be hard and there's going to be things that are going to suck and you probably won't like, but you know I'm absolutely doing it, so let's just get over that, right? Right, yeah. Like it's just, okay, done, next. Like it's, you just said it, it's it's like you know it's going to be hard. So when once you start, and I this is not like my notion or quote, but it's like once you expect it to be hard, it becomes less hard. Right. That's a great quote. Great yeah. Quote. Okay, so, you know, there's so many experiences, and I know we we did skip over many things, um, but now tell us what you're on to now, because you're in charge of a very uh, specific part of Major League Baseball in the organization. Yeah. Tell us about that. So, my official, like, title is the Latin American Strength and Conditioning Coordinator for the Houston Astros, and so that means I hang out with all the Latin American people. So, mm-hmm. I basically... Spanish-speaking? Um, yes. So, for the... This is... Many, many people have no idea about the minor league system. For the, so, for the listeners that don't know, I'll do, like, the crash course. So, you have, like, the TV team, which is a major league team. And then pretty much every organization out there has at least nine minor league teams. We have ten. So, underneath that, people have heard of, like, AAA. And then there's AA, there's high A, low A, and then there's three domestic or three American rookie league teams and then there's also for us we have two dominican teams in in the dominican republic right now they're actually in instructional league and i'm going there on sunday so we have a hundred right now we have like 60 athletes but sometimes we'll have a hundred athletes that are houston astros professional baseball players that are operating out of the dominican republic in something that we like to call an academy so basically they stay at this hotel-esque thing that we them they wake up in the morning they go out and play baseball they go back in they go to english class at night kind of thing so that's why we call it an academy they, they actually live there and i actually deal with mostly with the youngest i would say like the youngest 150 to 200 latin players that we have um and that's like basically i'm based out of orlando florida where the, the astros spring training site is and i travel back and forth to the dominican republic kind of manage we have three strength coaches down there um, and then manage that situation. So it's, uh, to put it in a nutshell, um, 
I'm dealing with mostly 16-year-old to 22-year-old kids that hail from third world countries. Man, I don't know if we need to say anything else. <laughs> that, that, that must be, number one, incredibly interesting. Number two, incredibly challenging. Do you, I mean, I know what the average 16-year-old May, what's going on in his head because obviously I was there but what is it like being around Cause it's all men you're, you're immersed in that culture yeah. I mean and I asked you this when we had our conversation after the second day I mean what's it like are they because you're a fit young person it's only natural that they may you know there may be advancements or stuff like that does that go down no not in the way you would think I mean there, I've had like so this is my fourth year in baseball and it's my I don't know what it is eight I don't know something like that years in strength and conditioning and I've had minimal because you know what it's just like anything else so if you get a client walk through your doors how fast does it take you to know whether or not they're a serious person about what they're gonna do seconds like five, like seconds. five seconds right in the way that they walk in the door you can already tell so the athletes, whether they know it or not, like we actually are consciously looking for that stuff. Like, all right, is this client, is this athlete going to be serious about what they're going to do? No, like the athletes, no. They they know. They, they're not going to say anything to me because they know what I'm about the second I walk in the door. And if they don't know the second I walk in the door, they, they know the second I open my mouth. First of all, they know the second I open my mouth because I open my mouth and I'm a white chick from Nebraska and I'm speaking Spanish. And they're like, oh, shit. They're like, okay, okay. <laughs> I kind of have to listen to this girl. And then also just, you know, it's like I open my mouth and I'm about business. Like, we have things to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is what's going to happen. Da, 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 da. Like, you can tell and it does not take very long. And so, if anyone was to hit on me, it'd be like, what? Like, what? Is, right. that, is that person serious? Like, right. excuse me? You know, and, and they don't, you know, in fact, they don't hit on me. They hate me. Like, I'm, I'm right. hard on them. And so, I think with the Latin players, it's interesting because it's actually really something I've thought about a lot. They have so much respect for some women in their life. Their mother, their grandmother, right. it's usually the person who's raising them. So much respect. Just absolute they're basically God. Like they're you right. know, there's like right. no one higher than their mother besides God, seriously. I've been told then, that. I've been told that. Yeah. But then flip it around and they have zero respect at times for for like the women that they're gonna date or, or sleep with or right. marry or whatever. Like it's so it's so interesting. So I'm, I'm definitely, like, more of that mother figure for them where they, like, there's no shot they would hit on me. Mm-hmm. Like, none. So the answer is no, that does not happen as, as, as much as you would think. I mean, there's been, like, instances in my career, and it's just it's weird more than it is anything else. It's not like I go home and cry at night, you know? Right. I, I think that if you're one, if you're in the system, you're in that Major League Baseball system uh, that, that you, you work within, you're one of the players. You kind of don't want to be that guy. You know? I mean, <laughs> why would you want to not not only put stuff in jeopardy, but you, I mean, you don't want to be singled out. You kind of want to just do what you got to do, put your head down, and which leads me to the next thing. I mean, that could really make you make it. You could be harder on someone for that, or you know, there there could be emotion involved. What what kind of coach are you? Uh, are you a screamer, yeller? Are you you know at times? How does it work? Uh, at times, yes. <laughs> because, wait, hold on, I, Rachel. I had a coach in college that is NFL coach Joe Cullen now. He's a D-line coach for the Baltimore Ravens. I think I mentioned him before when we spoke. Mm-hmm. This guy yeah. is like 
he's the coach. He's out of Whiplash. Like he could have played the role in the movie Whiplash way better than anyone. <laughs> I mean, he was insane, right? So, but he was a yeller and he was intense and screaming or threat in your life. You should have never been born. Tell, tell me, yeah, I mean, it was yeah. He wanted to go back and murder your chil- murder your parents, so they oh, couldn't have yeah. any more kids. So, do what? What kind of approach do you take? Well, you know, yeah, and and but like, okay, wait to follow up because we did talk about that guy, and then you said something to the effect of, "But I got so much better, you know, as a result of that." Correct? Is that yeah, well, the same guy? The thing is, I during my collegiate career, I would have told you, you know what. I don't respond well to that type of coaching. So stop yelling at me, right? But it turns out if you watch the film, he'd say, I beg to differ. You had like four sacks and three tackles for loss, and you were a two-time All-American. So I think it worked very well. So yeah. I hate to admit it, but it really did work. Help me. <laughs> That's really actually good to hear from me because I, I do go through, like I'm definitely – in professional baseball especially because it's def- it's way different than like a football strength coach where you know there's chest bumping and head butting and you know it's just way different so it's a lot more relaxed like just in general the environment is a lot more relaxed right um i don't know if that's the right word but just you know yeah generally i would say it's it's just more toned down and so i am like on the high intensity end of the scale when it comes to strength and conditioning and professional baseball for sure okay. like i like to get in the weight room we come up to the board we talk about this or that i'm giving them like you know like a i don't want to say inspiration because i'm like not a fan of that word but just like a, a more of like a thought for the day something to focus on something to apply to their daily work and you know then i crank up the music and we get going like it, it's like okay. i definitely want to create that high intensity environment and I definitely have high expectations higher expectations I guess probably than they've ever had in their life um, I've been nicknamed exigente which in Spanish means demanding that's like kind of a nickname that floats around I've been you know yeah like they they definitely um, I've definitely have high expectations I don't think I like yell and scream too much but I will when I need to and that uh, I mean I guess that's pretty often mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what you think is often but it's you know at least at least a couple times a week I'm getting in someone's ass but um but there's only been like a few times that I've like blacked out and like like screamed and, and just like dropped f-bombs on people in the past year so it's not that often but I will go there whenever I need to and right. whenever I feel like it's appropriate so you're somewhere in between like my coach and uh the university in, in university of Oregon on the other end of the scale which has a no yelling policy Oh my God! What is that real? Yeah, yeah. university—not university, but University of Oregon football team—they have a policy. It's a no yelling culture. No yelling wow. in football, which wow. I can't—I can't even imagine. I'm—I'm I'm not really for the yelling, but I can't imagine getting through a practice where no one raises their voice. I yeah, I wonder if that's like a no yelling at someone. Like you have to raise your voice to talk to a group, right. but like. No screaming at a person. I don't. Yeah, that sounds more accurate. That's. I mean, I don't know. I guess I understand that, and I think, I think, there's a time and a place. It's like I look. Look, I'm gonna say it nice. In fact, I will even like. I make a point typically if I'm gonna say something that's like a a deep correction, like "Hey, you've been having a bad attitude" or whatever. I will go and like put my arm around someone and be like, "Hey." 
I know that you've been having a rough time, or I know that, you know, look, I have a higher expectation for you. This is what's been going on. I'll, like, literally embrace somebody and speak in a soft voice, and I'll say it nice the first time. You know what? I'll say it nice the second time, and I might even say it nice the third time, but the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, it's not going to be nice. <laughs> so, exactly. so, like, I think that if you came and watched me, like, on a day or whatever, and you saw me lose myself on someone and freak out, like oh my god she's so crazy but well maybe not you but like other people would, right. would say oh she's a but the thing is you haven't seen the first five times that i've talked to that athlete right. about the same thing right i always say there's two sides to every story i said that's you know the trainer said that you know i flipped out but you didn't hear what he did and how many times i discussed this yes yeah he told yeah. you half so that's the why story. when you see bo pelini on the sideline screaming at a quarterback oh, and everyone yeah. freaks out and i'm like look you don't know what those conversations have been before then. So I, I'm always, when people freak out about coaches being too, unless it's like literally an abuse situation, because I know there's been a couple of those like right. coming out, like literally like physical, you're throwing things at the athletes or you're, but, but like when it's when it's yelling or you don't like the language just being, it's like, come on, you, you have no idea. And typically the people that are complaining about that are people who have never played sports at a high level and never been coached by somebody oh, like yeah, you have. Okay. couple things firstly I'll, I'll say that I know uh, all about when Bo Pelini gets mad because he was my linebacker coach for the yes. New, New England Patriots yes. so I mean coach Bo was so comical and I mean I, I love the guy I thought he was terrific and I had a, a mix of Bo and Pepper Johnson who's one of the greatest linebackers that ever lived so I it was a, an interesting balance you know uh, the second thing is you know you 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 have a standard, right? And you're raising the standards. Yep. Like, I think that when, when you when you hold them accountable, it's it's a big deal. Like you're you're showing them that this is our standard. You either yep. get up to speed, or you cease to exist in our culture. That's the way it is. And once they know that, it's very powerful. It's very powerful for the whole group. And I think that's certainly what you're doing. Yeah, that's exactly. Exactly. First of all, that's awesome that you played for Bo Pelini, and I'm so glad, straight from your mouth, a player that he, that played for him, that you liked him, because I think he's become like the poster child for screaming and yelling at people, and it's like, I just want to just say, like, get over it. Like, right. you, you, right. you don't know the situation, and, you, and probably you've never played at that level, so just, unless you have, I don't want to hear it. And that's kind of like brash, I guess, but... That's how it is. Ooh. But then also what you just said about the standards, that's, that's a literally like exactly what I talk about with them because, you know, there's a ton of people, the, especially just speaking specifically to line players, but this happens all across professional athletics, even college athletics. It's like there's going to be people at home that they go home to and they're like, oh, my gosh, you're the best and you're this hero of mine and you throw whatever, 95 miles an hour and oh, oh my gosh. And there's, there's those kinds of people that are just ruining everything I'm trying to do because they say, oh, well, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, I'm good enough. And the truth is, you can never be good enough. Right. And I always talk to them about standards. And for them, I say it's expectations. Like, I have high expectations, and I'm going to expect you to meet them because I know you can. Like, that's the difference is I'm not doing it to say you're not good enough, you're, you suck, 
you gotta get it's it's more so I know you can raise your level, and so I'm gonna br- I'm gonna expect you to go there. And then also like the other thing that we have a saying, and it's igual or diferente. So that just means like, are you normal or are you different? Because if you're normal, you're gonna be sitting at home in about a year or two, and you're gonna be watching your teammates on TV. So and like the reality is, out of the whatever 150 bad players I interact with, there might be like five that are going to get to the big leagues. That's right. crazy. Right. You know, there's that's a crazy, crazy stat. Um, I remember in New England we had a saying, the, the players, the younger players would say, man, Coach Seals, Brad Seeley was the special teams coach, and he would scream at me. He would <laughs> scream at me. Megs, what the hell? Do this, Mark. Come on, Mark. And I'm thinking, oh, man. Like, I'm never going to see – I'm never going to be here. So, Willie McGinnis looked at me one day, and he said, what's wrong? I said, man, Coach Seals screams at me all day, man. That guy hates me. He goes, dude, you know how much energy it takes to scream at one player all day? He said, <laughs> the fact that he's screaming at you means that he likes you and he knows what you're capable of. When he stops yep. screaming at you, then you have a real problem. Yep, it's so true. It's so true. You're, what you just said about the energy thing, it's like I actually have to – some days I'm like – God, I, like, just don't want to go out and, like, condition with this guy. And what ends up happening is, like, nope, what I'm going to do is not only am I going to go out and hold a stopwatch, I'm going to go and run with this guy because I'm going to put – do you think I like running all day with the pitchers and, like, just trying to – you think I – I mean, of course I do, you know, kind of like it in some ways, but do you think I want to pour all that energy into someone who just shows up and doesn't want to be there or or is struggling with – no, but – Right. But, like, I care about them so much that I I have – there's no other option. Like, I'm – if they're not going to be strong enough to do it, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to show them the way. Is there is there one player that you struggled with and you have, like, a, uh, you, like one player you turned – you have a story, a, a player yeah. at a very difficult time, yeah. and you turn – tell us about this player. <sighs> yeah. Oh, man. I, immediately when you said that, th- just this year. I mean, there's been, obviously – more than one but this year there's a player that when I first got there I mean we fought like fought every day was a struggle we like every day there was something like he was coming in the weight room like dancing not paying attention not wanting to do anything you know I could tell and it's funny because I could tell he was a leader but at that moment he was leading in the wrong direction so he had like personality kind of had like a little chip on his shoulder a little swag or whatever you want to call it you know but he was like too cool for everything making jokes while I was talking you know trying to just like totally in the wrong direction and so I started to like chip away at that and I started to go hey you know what like you you've got something special like I I started to tell him exactly what I just said I said you're a leader People are looking to you. They, you've got the energy. You've got the personality. But right now, you're in the wrong direction. And I would say that to him almost every day. And the greatest thing, not great but great, is that he, the first couple of outings, he's a starting pitcher, he would go out and just get his ass kicked. And I was like, I just loved it. Because I was like, oh, you're Mr. Cool Guy. You're all so cocky, you know. Humble pie. And so, yes. And so we had this one experience where he, he basically got his butt kicked in the game. He came out, you know, he sits on the bench, and he's just sulking for, like, two hours on the bench. And I'm, I'm watching him, and I even sat close to him so I could kind of, like, try to get a feel for what he was saying, what, you know. And so, of course, the next morning he comes in the weight room, and he's still mad, and he's carrying it with him, and he ruined not only his own workout, but was just 
you know, clanking around weights and trying to show everyone he was really mad. And I was like, just thinking to myself, okay. So then we got to condition. He's still mad. And he's, and I was like, all right, I'm running with this guy today for sure. And so I'm obviously a girl. He's a guy. He should beat me every time. And I'm like beating him in his conditioning. And it's like a longer distance conditioning. And I'm like, dude, finally I just looked at him. And this is like the saying that, that I think changed it and he still uses today with me now he'll use it which is funny i go i just looked at him i said how much time and he goes what do you mean and i was like how much time are you going to carry this with you and let it ruin your other training i was like because right now you're working on 24 hours that you're literally ruining the rest of your training so you're already wasting that much time you could be getting better you could be learning from that experience you could be motivating other people by the way that you're reacting but right now wasting time and that's all it is and I was like you only have a certain amount of time in this game and you're wasting time and I was like so I'm gonna ask you how much time and he looked at me and he like he looked at me he was bad but I could tell it just like flipped the switch right. and then from that point for our next sprint he just kicked my ass and just went on and he was like he was like I'm not afraid to fail and this is all in Spanish by the right, way right. He's like I'm not afraid to fail and he's like screaming and yelling he was like no more time no more time and then from that point forward it was like you know, not complete change, but it was like he would come to me and be like, how much time? Like, during the day, he would just walk by and be like, how much time, Rachel? How much time? That's <laughs> like, funny. Or if, I'm, if I got mad at people, if I, like, was mad at, like, players or whatever, he would, like, in the heat of me being mad, he would walk by and be like, how much time, Rachel? I'd be like, damn it. He got me. So, we, you know, ever since then, That's like, a cool we've kind of, like... That's a cool story. Yeah, like, he's... Now then, by the end of the season, he was definitely, like, a team leader in the right way, which was, like, you know, a matter of three, four months that he really turned it around and, you know, had the, it was not that easy, you know, that wasn't the end of the story, but it was, like, back and forth, and we definitely, you know, from that point forward, he was basically made a decision, was like, I'm not going backwards, you know, I'm not going to waste any more time, so, yeah. so, yeah, As soon as you mentioned that he used to come into the weight room dancing, I was thinking, you know, the... For me, I automatically thought, man, it would Mark. It would be hard to love that guy, man. Because I was like, <laughs> if you if you don't fall in line and do what you're supposed to do, uh, you're gonna have to get out of my area, get out of my community. Because if and if not, some guy said, I'm not going anywhere. I said, well, you're gonna have an accident then because I don't want you around me. Um, but yeah. it was interesting. That guy it would be hard to love, but the ones that are hardest to love are the ones that need it the most, right? Yeah, and now like the thing, you know he'll do that because he's still the same like energetic person but it's like at the right time at the end of the lift when people are all done and they're kind of you know there's still music going on and it's like we're done with our work and he's you know so i try to let him be him within reason where he's not affecting his own career and the career of others like right you know because i remember bill parcell said you know i i don't I, I love personalities. The reason we're all here is because we have a spe- specific personality. Everyone, there's a lot of parody, obviously, in all sports and football. You have to have the skill set. But the reason that you know, we start off with 14 linebackers and we whittle it down to five or six is because of their personality types. And they affect the group yeah. in the most positive way. Or they're a little bit of uh, salt in the group. And we need mm-hmm. that, that that proper recipe. Um mm-hmm. But nice. that, that, like that. That, that's, that's, that's the, what makes those players different. Like this guy, you triggered something in him and he showed you the ability to bounce back. 
And that's yes. something that is so rare. And that's what makes people great, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. He's he's one of the grittiest young line players I've come across. And, and like I said, like before, he was using his powers for evil, and now he's using them for good. Like, he always yeah. had it. It was yeah. just a matter of, like, applying it in different ways. Okay, okay. So how do you, and if you do, how do you implement uh, team? Like, there's a lot of systems for the conditioning coaches have, but do you do team drills just to build team karate? Other than the natural oh gosh, things that yeah. happen, what do you do? I, I want to In every that. moment of our day, I'm always trying to create competition. Like, always. It's, it's not always easy in professional baseball just because it's, like, it's, you know, they're moving up the minor league. They don't move up as teams. They move up as individuals. And so if they're doing well themselves, they're going to get moved up the minor league system. It's not like the whole minor league team moves up together, right? So it's it's just like more than any other sport, I think, because the minor league system is so extensive. It's very individual at times. So I always am trying to create competitions, and I'm always trying to put them in groups, even if it's something simple where it's not a true competition, where, like, for example, we've got, you know, 12, 15 guys in a, a weightlifting group, and I've specifically have looked at their programs and said, okay, Who's going to be together on the racks, on the squat racks? Is it going to, you know, like, which which three guys am I going to put together to make sure that either there's a healthy level of conflict and they're going to kind of, like, compete and razz each other, right. or this guy's a little bit weaker, so I need to pair him with a team leader so they can, you know, so that, that guy can keep him in line. The team dynamic is, like, always, it's the first thing on my mind, to be honest with you. I will sacrifice, I'll sacrifice any day, I'll sacrifice weight on the bar to make sure that, they're with the right people and they're in the right dynamic. You know, if some guy has to lift a little bit less weight or it's going to be annoying because they have to change weights or whatever, I will absolutely pair people with the people who are going to push them the most, you know? And so, and like with, with running, again, it's individual where I don't always have the whole group together to do conditioning. I might get one or two guys. And so that's when within the first week of being there, I was like, that's it. Like I'm running with these guys because if they run by themselves, at, at times, when, when left to, I think it's Michael Gervais that said this, sports psych for the, the Seahawks right now, he said basically like the human body, when left to yourself, find the low ground because it's like literally evolution. Like you, your body wants to conserve energy. And seek, body, seek, and seek the easiest way out, right? Yeah, I mean the path of least resistance. Right. And you have to constantly fight that if you want to, if you're by yourself and you, you don't have anybody else, you got it. That's like the hardest time to, do it because there's nobody else to push you and your body's going to always seek the easiest path. So anyway, like applying that to conditioning, if a pitcher is running by himself, he's just bound to run slower and with less fervor than if somebody's running with him. So I definitely try to run the guys in groups whenever I can and I'll give them a stopwatch and we have like, they have the stopwatch and I have the stopwatch. So if they're running a long distance, they can see what they're doing and I'm calling it out. But if they're by themselves, I'm going to run with them. Because even if I'm slow, I'm like, you know, I'm a girl, and like I said, it's the physical limitations. Like, a lot of times they're going to beat me, nine times out of ten. I hope they beat me, for God's sake. So, you know, they're going to beat me. But just the fact that, like, someone's on them and, like, with them, it's going to change the way that they do things. So, the thousand percent team, group dynamics, competition, as much as humanly possible. Sweet. The... Is there a um, – so this might be a bit of the same, the story you, you mentioned before, but 
you know, I every once in a while, I'll get around someone and I, and I just know that they don't have a bad heart. They probably have a good heart and good intentions, but they just don't understand team. Like mm-hmm. it's like I'm all there. They don't realize it. They're the only person in the room that doesn't realize it. But they're kind of like all about them. They'll do things for the team when it fits their schedule. But like, how do you bring that person up to speed? Because it's hard to get someone. For example, in an office setting, sometimes in an office, I, mean, I might have, I might be with an athlete. I'm an athlete, but the people that aren't, we talked about sniffing each other out, that didn't have athletic careers or understand team, they just don't even understand how to take care of someone else. Have you dealt with that with any athletes, and how do you try to to bring them up to speed in regards to being a team? Well, well, I mean, I basically, like, work with all either athletes or ex-athletes, except for, like, I mean, not everyone, not everyone on the swing staff and athletic training staff um, has an athletic background. Some of us play college sports. Um, or professional sports, but not oh, everyone oh, does. So. Oh, Rachel, I'm sorry. Even the pitchers, because when you're a pitcher, you're kind of on the mound, right? Even if yeah. the guys are on the team and they're just not great teammates. You could use just, that right. as well. So I, yeah, so like I was going to say, I mean, basically I'm working with all athletes all the time, but when you're in a pool of people who, I mean, you obviously know this, is like when you're playing on an NFL football team, people still separate them. There are, there are hard workers, there are lazy people, there are, you know, there's, it's all relative. So when you're in a pool of people who have all competed at some level, like some people are better leaders than others. Some people are better teammates than other people. It's so obvious. So um, I think, again, it's and this is hard too because it's one of those things where I'm like, God, I don't want to work with that guy, but I, it's my job. It's not my job to work with the guy who shows up every day with a good attitude. And it's just really, that's not my job. My job is to work with the hardest guy to work with and turn him around. Right. And so... To create that environment, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm perfect, but it's like, I, every day it's like my, my sole purpose to like make that guy a little uncomfortable. <laughs> so, right, right. And so whether that's even sometimes just having a conversation with him and going, hey, what'd you eat today? Oh, did you eat this? Oh, really? Because I saw you at the lunch table eating this. Oh, did you? Like, just, just like making sure again, because we don't always have the best, um, most outspoken team leaders that are going to do the whole pull the team off to the side and go, hey, guys, let's get it together. We don't have those people. In fact, rarely in professional baseball, as because of what I just mentioned, the individual aspect of it, and there's people moving up and down all the time, and you don't have the same teammates all year long. And So, if, if again, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I have to be that person to keep them accountable and also to create an environment where I try to put them in leadership positions as much as I can. So I'm like, if there's ever a situation where you know, a lot of times we'll get in group and I'm like, okay, we've covered the deadlift for the past four days. Okay, guys, uh, so-and-so, you're going to come up in front of the group and talk about the deadlift. And a lot of times it's so funny because the people who are the the not good teammates or they're the too cool people who are, oh, I'm so cool and I've got this chip in my shoulder and I've got this, all this, it's piquete in Spanish, like that means like swagger and I've got all this, and then as soon as you put them in front of a group to talk, they're like, um, 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 you know, can't they stumble? And so I guess I don't want to ever literally just try to make someone fail just to point them out, but I'm just saying, like, trying to, like I said, bring them to that edge where they're uncomfortable and where it's show, it's exposing a weakness for them, not only to them, but to other people. And so they always know that 
like I, I don't want to say that they're nervous around me, but they're probably a little bit yeah. of nervous around me because they never know when I'm going to put them on the spot and like ask them a question right. or like, hey, I'm always quizzing them on English and trying to, you know, focus on the, get just learning in general. And so I'll be like, oh, hey, how do you say this in English? And they're like, oh, shit. Like, oh, That's funny. Wait, Rachel, you caught me off guard, you know. Right, you're, so, keeping, you're keeping them on their toes. They need that. They certainly need yeah. that. So how do you develop that? I guess just as a coach, you're, you're trying to create an environment where they can be successful or, or you can create that change. So challenging them in that way, just trying to get them to be a better leader, I guess. Right. It's a hard thing to develop, I had to be a, honest with you. Yeah, it's so hard. I had a coach that he, he would always say, like, look, we might never win a game here and you might never play. But there's one, two words that you will put together before your time is done here. Team and mate. You're gonna nice. understand, you're gonna understand exactly what that means, and he would he would they would do crazy things like, you know, a, a guy would be off in, at the frats or doing something crazy, and he because we hated fraternities, they'd be partying and they'd get into a fight. He'd take that guy, put him in the middle of the field, sit him down in a chair, and punish the whole team for two hours. Yes, yes. And it yes. was like, oh man, I, this is like this crazy tactics. But they, you know, we learning how to be team player a true team player in my opinion is just totally you know doing things when you don't want to do them and like sucking it up when you don't think it might be right but you know what that's the way we got to do it that's the way we're going to do it so it's interesting man i I, you know we could talk for hours on end i'm sure rachel honestly i'm I'm so happy that uh you gave me the opportunity to have you on and thank you so very much I don't want to. Yeah, kick, we we really. have to do this thing. I yeah. I just looked at the time. Like I can't believe it's been an hour. Right. We got to do it. We got to do a part two. Uh, maybe we'll wait till uh, you know you have more free time. We'll definitely do a part two and we'll cover some uh, the mental edge, mental game aspects. Really, I think that would be great. But the, the end of this, Rachel, I usually do like a speed round, and I just ask mm-hmm. you a few questions so the audience can learn a little bit more about yourself. So okay. you know, one word answer. Some of this is the light stuff, uh, lighthearted, maybe funny at times so i'm just gonna roll them off okay okay here we go favorite food uh, am i allowed to say ice cream yeah of course <laughs> absolutely what flavor uh mint chocolate chip nice favorite ritual uh watching the sunrise in the morning y- y- what's a unique or quirky habit you have oh my gosh uh i don't that is oh, this is hard yeah quirky habit that I have. See, if someone else saw it, they'd say, that's weird. Shoot, that happens at least ten times a day. Yeah. Hey, um, welcome to my world. It would be like my eating habits, probably. Okay. Like, as much as I just said ice cream, I'm a vegetarian, and I, like, I eat, like, I'll have, routinely have, like, edamame for breakfast, or like, wow. <laughs> some sort of salad for breakfast, and I bring it to the, you know, I'm in a coach's meeting or something, and they're like, what are you doing? Like, what? So, I don't know. My eating habits, for sure, is what people think is weird, I guess. Interesting. Favorite pastime? Um, playing volleyball or hike activity. Something, okay. Doing something active. Something active. Cool. Favorite sports team? Other than your own? I don't, I don't know. I don't have... I guess I'll say LSU, but I don't really watch sports, to right. be honest with you. Because that would mean I have to watch TV, right. and I don't really do that. That's Very why. Well. That's why I deleted my question. Favorite TV show, by the way. I knew that. Okay. Yeah, I knew that. Um, you know, and it's funny. People ask me all the time, "What did you think of that football game?" I said, "Dude, I don't watch football. Yeah. Like, I, I don't. You know what? Oh watch my gosh! Football. Can I please tell the story? Yeah, please. 
two things. First of all, I actually am watching TV. I have like a guilty pleasure TV show right now. It's called Pitch, and you'll know why I watch it because it's. I heard about like, this show. I heard. Yeah, it's yes. It's about it's about like a basically depicting the first woman to ever play professional baseball at the major league level, and it's um, literally it's my life. Like I just post about this on Instagram because it's like. It's, I've, like, cried, I'm telling you. It's because I don't have anyone to relate to. There's no one else in my position. And and the things that she goes through, just, like, like off-the-field stuff and dating and, the, oh, it's, like, it's real, let me tell you. So I am actually watching an hour of TV a week deliberately right now. Wow. But I wanted to tell you this story because you'll get a kick out of it. So I, I, when I was in Phoenix and I was one of the times I was working three jobs, I was waitressing at a high-end restaurant called Hillstone. And... I, uh, it was, it was Super Bowl Sunday, and nobody was in the restaurant, because we're like a high-end restaurant, I was in a sports bar, and there's a bar area with a couple TVs, and wouldn't you know, Bo Jackson walks in the door. Wow. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, okay, so I'm, <laughs> I'm working, and I'm working Super Bowl Sunday, because I don't care about the Super Bowl, and I don't watch TV, and I don't even, you know, whatever, like, doesn't matter to me, I didn't even know, like, who was in it. And so, of course, like, I'm like, oh, hello, Mr. Jackson, like, Super celebrity right, random right. person on Super Bowl Sunday. Now, Rachel, I, I, you're not the only one who knows who he is, or are you? You spot him right away. Um, uh, no, people knew. No, no, everyone knew who he was. Okay, okay. Everyone knew. Who he was. Okay. Yeah. So I like you know he of course he gets sat in in my section or no he didn't get sat in my he got sat in the bar area with around the TVs and wouldn't you know Bo Jackson was like hey can you move me away from the bar. He actually sat in the back of the restaurant facing away from the TVs during the Super Bowl. And I was like, this is my kind of guy. That's incredible. That's a great <laughs> story. Yeah, and then he ended up getting sat like at my table. And he was the nicest dude ever. He met like some, some woman, not, you know, just a friend of his. Right, right. Nicest guy ever. Could not care any less about the Super Bowl. And I was like, we could be friends, but I won't talk to you because I know you probably get talked to a lot. <laughs> Yeah, that's so interesting. It's, it, there's such a different mindset from someone who played and then a yes. fan. It's very yeah. different. Very different. Yeah. So, anyway. That's a great story. Thank you. A favorite athlete of all time. You can do a favorite athlete of all time and then favorite current athlete. I just, I don't, oh my God, this is, why is this so hard? Yeah. Um, it's I hard say, on the spot. I know, I just, I don't, I grew up not having, like, I never idolized, like, certain people like that and it's, uh, although I will say, like, the mindset right now, I guess my favorite af- athlete of all time is J.J. Watt. Okay. Honestly, like, now and forever because of, like, his mindset. Like, I just, everything I read, hear, you know, see specials on him, he's crazy. And, yeah. like, for me to say he's crazy, I'm like, yeah, I, I like that guy. Right. So He's a great I'll player, with, man. No joke. Yeah. Uh, favorite movie of all time? You know I don't watch movies. Really? <laughs> God, these are hard you, questions. You sound like you're immersed in your work. Crazy. Uh, yeah, weird. Mm. Um, I, I couldn't even tell you a single movie that's out right now. I really don't. And I, I try to like an older movie that I like that I would rewatch. I know this is probably cliche, but I would probably watch like um, The Rookie of the Year or like... Mm-hmm. You ever see For the Love of the Game? Oh, For the Love of the Game. Yes. No, I was just going to say it. No, yeah. For the Love of the Game. That, yeah. I'll call that my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. I'll watch that over and over again. I would, that was going to be my guess, by the way. Uh, last book read. Um, I'm, I'm currently reading Legacy, and the last book I just finished, Grit, by Angela Duckworth, 
and I'm currently reading Legacy, actually reading it like in my hand, which is weird. I usually do audiobooks. Um, but Legacy is basically about the All Blacks uh, rugby team in, in New Zealand. My high school Talks. coach sent me the screenshot of that book last week. No he, way! He said, you, so, he like, said you will love this book more. I haven't creepy. read it, though. That's weird. Mark, you will love that book, yeah. I'm telling you. It's it's like, oh, God. It's basically just about like a team that has no business winning, and they have go through a major culture change, and I'm, I'm loving it so far. So oh, I can't wait. I highly recommend it. I can't wait. Okay, uh, your that's your last book read. Okay, yeah. favorite book of all time. Do you have a favorite book of all time? Um, it's a recent one that I I read about a year ago, and I reference it. It's called Relentless by Tim Grover. Yeah, he's great. Good yeah, stories in there. Michael Jordan, strength coach. Yeah, if if you want to know like my day to day, like what I think is probably in that book. Like yeah. it's. It's pretty, it's not for everyone. Like, basically, if you read it and you are crazy, you're going to be like, yes. And if you're not crazy, you're going to be like, well, this book is crazy. And, and that's basically, if I recommend that book to you, it's, it might be because I'm trying to sniff you out and see, like, what kind of person you are. Because right. <laughs> if you like it, you're in. And if yeah. you don't, we're not, probably not going to be friends. <laughs> He's right. I love when he goes over the personality types and Kobe. And I just love it. Really love it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, favorite type uh, of music? Gosh, that's I. I like it all, but the first thing that popped into my head was like kind of oldies. Like I'm really I like classic rock and like seventies ish stuff. But okay. I also like love reggae and I love. I mean, I don't know. I'm all over the place. Really, the yeah. only thing I don't like is super death metal. That's like literally right. the only kind of music I don't like. Right. Are we talking? You said rock. You said, are we talking Bon Jovi or? Uh, like ACDC. And ACDC, like, Metallica, maybe or no? Yeah. Guns yeah, and Roses. Yeah, Guns and Roses, that kind of thing. That's good. Good stuff. Yeah, but also like Steve Miller band, like classic. Like I like the, I like CCR. I mean, I like oh, all that's that funny. stuff. You have a a big dial, so you go intense, and then you go the chill with the reggae and the Bob Marley, right? Huge dial. Yeah. It's, it depends on the mood, but to be honest with you, I've also stopped. And only only the really crazy people could understand this, but I only listen to music, really, because I'm a strength coach and I have to play it in the weight room. Right. But if I'm like, I don't listen to music in my car, I don't listen to music, like when I'm working out, typically, if I'm working out by, by myself, um, it's all audiobooks and podcasts. So This is so uh, funny you said that because about five years ago I started listening to motivational speeches and like stories on YouTube what I would do is I would go into a facility where I had the key and over the in, over the speaker system I plug my phone in and I would play yes. things I wanted to listen to and now it's streamlined to the audiobooks and the uh, whatever it is it's like positive self-help whatever it may be Le- leadership yeah. things you know the speech by the uh, Navy SEAL at the University of Texas yes so I've listened to that maybe every morning for the last like, two bed. years. Yeah, start by making your bed. I love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah. I just it's like you're just wasting time. Like, yeah. it's, what is music really doing for you? Although, I mean, I know music serves a purpose, and it's to be honest with you, music is like dessert for me. You know, so like when I finish an audio, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna listen to a little music. Like, right. it's kind of like it's seriously, it's like a dessert for my mind, like a right. little break from from like listening and learning and that kind of thing, but. I'm also forced, that's why I have to be dials, because I'm forced to listen to, like, 
all right, the players want this, or they want us all put on the right music to create the environment that they want, and that kind of thing. And so I end up listening to a lot of music and just kind of getting to know it, I guess. But Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, favorite strength coach of all time? Uh, I immediately go to Coach Profit at LSU, yeah. even though he wasn't my direct boss, actually. My direct boss was a woman named Melissa Moore, but just... He, again, like, he's crazy. If I say you're crazy, you're a high level of crazy. Right. Like, he's he's crazy. His intensity level and just my time at LSU during that time was a very special, special time when I was there, 2010 to 2012. They were just, oh, and, uh, I mean, just the intensity level of all the drink staff really kind of, like, my people. Like, they were, they were all high, we were all high-intensity individuals just, go hard every day and coach Moffat embodied that for sure I learned a lot from him um, in a lot of different ways I feel like when you're in that culture you feel alive you know oh god that's like yeah I love it that's really. where I was like born to be like not at LSU but just like where you can't slack off like like I said if you're by yourself and and I've been in environments in both ways where I'm the only person that's like that or I'm in, a, in the midst of many people like that, and when you're the only person that's like that, I know. I know. whether you like it or not, you're not getting better. Like you're, you're not getting better at the rate that you are getting better when you're in that high-intensity yeah. environment. Everyone's pushing everyone else and themselves. It's something special that happens when you're in a pressure cooker, really. Something special. Yeah. Your mentor, your someone... The, I have many mentors, but the the one person that I think probably affected me the most was Chris Frankel, and that's the guy I mentioned at the very beginning. Right, right. He was a professor of mine, and then pretty much right after I graduated, he ended up getting a job with Fitness Anywhere, better known as TRX. So he's in San Francisco, and he's the director of human performance for them, and he just is brilliant. Like, they call him the professor at TRX. He's, he's just, if you want to feel dumb, you just go spend, like, five minutes with him, and you're like, okay, I don't know anything. Yeah. So. He's been not only in an intelligence way, but also like family-wise. I ended up living with his family for three years, and just a loving guy, down to earth. But like, don't get it twisted. He's brilliant. Like he, you would yeah. never know it type of thing. Right. So he's yeah. taught me a lot, just coaching-wise, person-wise, everything. So that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Favorite lift. Oh, power clean. Power clean. Nice. Yeah. That says a lot. No, yeah, just—I'm not even that strong. Like, I'm not even. To be honest with you, like, as in the weightlifting world, I'm not that strong. Like, for a girl, um, I'm stronger than the normal girl, but not—you know—you know, like in competitive weightlifting, no way. But um, I just like—it's just tech. There's always something new to learn about it. Like the Olympic lifts are just so t technical that you yeah. can never be perfect at them. Right. If there's one little centimeter off, you're not going to mm -hmm. get that rack. Yep. Um, favorite quote. I know there's so many. This is all right. Well, yeah, there's there's a lot, but this is something that I think it's. I mean, I'm gonna butcher it even now, but it's like pinned on my Twitter right now. It's uh, discipline must be a habit so deeply ingrained that it is stronger than the fear of death or the excitement of battle. I think I switched that. The excitement of battle or the fear of death. So discipline, because when you're left to, are you familiar with Jocko Willink? I think I asked. Yeah. This. He's I, a, I remember I listened to his first podcast with uh, Tim Ferriss. That was the first time I heard him. Yes, yes, yes. So he's, he talks about this with discipline. When when you have 
when you have to choose between motivation and discipline, which one would you choose? And and he says you would choose discipline every time because there's going to be times in which you're not motivated. Like you, it's, you know, you're, you're tired or your girlfriend or your wife or your husband, you know, whatever's going on in your life. You know, you're always going to have different circumstances where you're more, more, more motivated at times than you are at others. And that's just the truth. I feel that way. I think we all experience times of where we're not very motivated. But that is when discipline kicks in. So if you have the discipline, in the absence of motivation, you're still going to do it. That's, that's a powerful quote. Really powerful. The last thing, the last thing. If you could see one phrase or word on a giant billboard, most trafficked area in the United States of America, what would that billboard read? <laughs> well, I, I think I said. I mean, I know I just said this, but I, if even if I did, didn't say that quote, I'd still say discipline. Because it's like to me, it's probably the most lacking quality in the human race. Listen, I could not agree more. This was <laughs> terrific. You're an amazing individual, my friend. I can't wait for part two. I know. We're, we're definitely going to connect soon. So. All right. Well, thank you very much, really. Have an amazing, positive trip, and um, I'll let you know when this, this is going to be special. So thank you very much, Rich. Thank you for yeah, awesome. Time. Thanks, right. Mark. All right. Have an amazing day, my friend.